welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Thanks, Terry. So wonderful. Um, a couple things. Good morning, by the way. Welcome. Hey, welcome, welcome to uh, Vineyard Cleveland. We're glad that you're here. We hope that you feel safe. You feel welcome to encounter and experience something of God's presence with us and among us as we're just doing life together and, and watching and uh, being a part of God's good story. So many good stories unfolding in Vineyard Cleveland. And we're going to continue our series called Ten Stories. Over the course of the summer, we've been looking at the parables of Jesus and we've been encountering the Holy Spirit in those stories. We feel like it's not like the cover of a Cosmo magazine where it's like top five tips on how to experience the Holy Spirit better. It's more like we talk about Jesus and we don't talk about him like he's far off. As Ben would say, we talk about him as he is. And he's burning in our hearts and he's walking the roads this morning. We're a people of his presence. And so when we talk about him and when we worship him and when we lift him up, he comes around, he starts touching our hearts, he starts transforming our lives. And so we're experiencing the Holy Spirit through the retelling of these stories and then the retelling of, of the grand story, the meta-narrative as it is, the grand story of God and where we play a role in that. And as always, it's about who we are and what we carry in Him for the city of Cleveland and beyond. And so we're going to pick up um, the parables in Luke. We're going to be in Luke 18 today. And it's so good to be with you, Vineyard Cleveland. I haven't spoken with you in two weeks. Sarah and I have been out and about and doing things. Last week we had uh, Jim Poole down from Detroit from the Renaissance Vineyard, and Jim spoke on the Pearl of Great Price. It was amazing. And then the week before, Ben Barnhart spoke, our community life pastor. If you haven't heard that message, it's a good one. You can go to the podcast and check that out. He talks about the mustard seed and Berkman's mustard and Old Stadium mustard and which one is better and all of that kind of good stuff. So you want to check that one out on the podcast about the mustard seed. Today we're going to talk about a story that Jesus told that it seems to be an open and shut case. Really uh, the most clear uh, sort of parable that Jesus told. And you would say, great, well that means it's going to be a short sermon today and I can get out. Normally I've got like three or four points today. It's an eight-pointer. I've got eight points for you, so buckle in. We'll have a halftime in between. It's going to be great. And it seems, as I was reading the story this week and meditating and just um, discerning what the Lord would have for us today and where the Holy Spirit was directing my heart, it seemed like these, this story was extremely relevant to where we're living as a society. Um, the past two weeks have been, as you know, if you've if you're not living under a rock, which I hope you're not, because that would hurt, but if you're not living under a rock, have been extremely tumultuous here in the United States and around the world in places like Barcelona. We've experienced some terrible events. And last Sunday, if you were with us, we received communion with Martin Luther King Jr.'s prayer on our lips as he wrote a pastoral prayer in 1958. And uh, we denounced uh, white supremacists. We denounce Nazis. Can you believe we're doing that? But we have to do something as white 
evangelical pastors and leaders, I'm challenging others to speak up, to say something. Um, And so we did that last week with uh, MLK's prayer on our lips, and we ask God's mercy upon us. Um, And, you know, just a, a promise to you that I'm not one to sweep current events under the rug. We will talk about that here at Vineyard Cleveland. We, we will open up dialogue here at Vineyard Cleveland. And it's amazing if you look to your left and right, you will find people who will, are, are most likely on the opposite side of the political spectrum as you. And that's a good deal. And that's a good thing. And it's, um, you might look to your left or your right and see someone that looks different than you. And that's a good thing. And that's a good deal. And that's something that we, Sarah and I, carry Um, in our hearts and long for more of, long for more socioeconomic diversity, more ethnic diversity here in our church because that's God's kingdom. That's how God likes it. And that's how we like it. But that's how God likes it. He says how sweet and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. There, that's where the blessing of God is. And so that's what we're, that's that's the bullseye. That's where we're aiming And so we're going to talk about it here at Vineyard Cleveland. It's a critical moment in our nation's history. If you look around and see what's happening, there's events that are taking place that reveal great divides in our culture. Last week, I imagined the horror in my grandfather's face, if he were alive, to see the images of white supremacists and Nazis marching. I can't believe I'm even saying this. Nazis marching in Charlottesville after he fought on the beaches in World War II to destroy Hitler and the evil that was the Nazi ideology. I thought to myself, who in the world gets to call themselves a Nazi and an American at the same time? It's one or the other. You cannot, we already fought a war for that. It's done. The whole world was involved in it. You don't get to call yourself a Nazi and an American at the same time. I watched, as did you, I'm sure, as white folks marched in Charlottesville shouting, we will not be replaced and Jews will not replace us. And as I came to this morning's story, I thought, God, how fitting and relevant that you would want to discuss this parable today. I heard the marchers chant, dressed in white supremacist garb, feeling superior to others, looking down on others. And I wonder, I wonder if they know that they're shouting out in fear. The fear of being replaced, so they say. And that's what the story Jesus told is all about. Who's heard by God? Who's accepted by God? Who walks away justified in the end? I wonder how often we feel superior to others. I wonder how often we feel inferior to others. As we'll see through this story, the heart of the Pharisee lives on in our culture. The heart of wanting to look good on the outside, to feel affirmed about our good stuff that we're doing, to feel good about ourselves, to feel superior, to look down on others, as the scripture puts it. It lives on in all of us if we're truly honest with God and with one another. So to white supremacists here at Vineyard Cleveland, we say, not white (laughs) supremacists. Let's hope not. Let's try that one again. As Vineyard Cleveland, to white supremacists, we say, 
Hate will never reign supreme. Jesus has all the supremacy. And to white nationalists, we say, the nation that you claim is not valid. We are citizens of one nation, the kingdom of heaven, where the government rests on the shoulders of a Jew, King Jesus. And to Nazis, we say, your leader was a coward and even went underground to take his own life in the name of smallness and hate. Our leader willingly laid down his own life and ascended into heaven where he lives and reigns in love and is reconciling and redeeming all people, black, white, yellow, red, back to the Father's heart. Jesus has the supremacy and hate will not win the day in the hearts of Vineyard Cleveland. Vineyard Cleveland, we're a people of God's presence. We're a people of Jesus' presence. And so we're not complicit with hate. We say love, love will win the day. And when we see hate, we don't just stay silent because we're complicit as we say silent. We speak out and we call a spade a spade. And we say we will be a people of Jesus' presence and bring life where there's hate. We'll bring hope where there's hopelessness. We'll bring freedom where there's captivity. That's who we're called to be in Jesus. And the people of Vineyard Cleveland said, Amen. Amen. So who is Jesus talking to in his parable? Well, let's look at it together. We're in Luke 18. We're going to be reading verses 9 through 14. If you have a phone or a Bible and wanted to flip or turn there with me, if you don't have a Bible, we love God's Word at Vineyard Cleveland. We'd love to give you a free Bible. They're on either side of the stage. You can pick one up today before you leave. It's our gift to you. If I'm going too fast, say, hold up. Y'all ready? Luke 18, 9 through 14 says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. So I've got four points for each dude. Four points for the Pharisee and four points of observation for the tax collector. And the first observation that I made about the Pharisee, as I'm sure that you've seen too, is that this guy has a really crazy notion of what prayer actually is. He's got a real loony idea about what prayer is. He's standing. This is a Let's set the scene for a moment. This guy would have been like really squeaky clean looking. Doing, he's like a teacher of the law, well respected in the community. Can we hold off the judgment for like one second? Take it out of the courtroom for a second and see like this guy was like the good guy. To Jesus' audience, he would have been like the good guy. He's squeaky clean. He comes into temple and everybody, he's confident in who he is. Everyone's shaking his hand. This guy, he's so 
personable and well-liked among the community. Hello, pastor. Good morning, pastor. Oh, good to see you again. Don't go, don't go sinning again. Good to see you again. Look at me. Look at me. The Torah on his, um, on his forehead, perhaps, and the Hasidic Jewish curls. Very much clean and proper. And so when he comes in to pray, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He's got a real loony idea of what prayer is. However, to the people Jesus is speaking with, remember, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this story. To his hearers, they would have been like, oh yeah, he's a great guy. He's standing in front of everybody and he's saying he is separate from the people. He is, there's something about him that's pure, that's not like us. He's so holy. So everything's matching up with his audience's ears. Everything's jiving so far. He's not really messing with their perceptions yet. Not quite yet. Now to us, on the other side of the cross, and reading the scripture back, we read it the first time and we're like, oh yeah, that guy's in the wrong. I mean, it's like an open and shut case, as we said before. That, okay, be less prideful. Don't be like this guy. Be like this guy. Be humble. We can go get some Applebee's now. I mean... That's pretty much all you need to say about that. The second observation is that he focuses on external behavior, not his inner life. He focuses on external behavior, not inner life. In his relationship with God, the Pharisee appeals to his track record with God. As I come before you, God... I reflect on what I've done and what I haven't done. And you know, God, that I've been trying my best and and I've been going to church. I don't curse nearly as much as I used to when someone cuts me off in traffic. I'm giving now. I'm giving my money and and I've really been trying in my marriage. I've, I've deliberately chosen not to date outside the faith. I, I go to a small group, and I have my quiet time almost every day. I've been praying, and I've, I've been reading my Bible, and I, I even listen to the fish now and then. I'm even listening to some Christian radio. What's wrong with appealing to your track record with God? What's wrong with that, you might ask? What's so distasteful to God is not that a person has been faithful, as if faithfulness means nothing to God. Faithfulness matters to God. God is faithful, and so faithfulness matters. Or or that going to church and sacrificing and giving money is just the same as not going to church and using all your money for an expensive vacation at Disney World. The problem with appealing to your track record is the notion that as a result of All that I have done, now you owe me, God. Now you owe me. The unstated assumption in the light of all that I have done for you, God. In light of all that I've given up. 
In light of all my effort, you owe me. And that's where we find the Pharisee. Now, we might not actually say that. We might not actually say to God, you owe me. We might not actually even pray that. And we might not recite our track record back to God. Or even bring it up with him. But very often, deep in our hearts at the root of our problem with God, at the root of many people's alienation with God and bitterness towards God and shutting the door in God's face is this idea that I followed the rules. I followed the rules. I got my ticket punched. And God, you aren't keeping your end of the bargain. I'm mad because even though I've really gone after it, I'm still single. I haven't had a date in years. Or I'm still sick. Or I'm still separated. Or the job I wanted went to someone else. Or my mother or father or child is not being helped by you. God, you didn't keep your end of the the deal. Look into yourself. If there's any bitterness in your heart towards God, very likely at the root of your problem is the view that God owes you something and didn't pay up. And if you believe that God owes you, you don't really understand the Christian gospel, which teaches that everything, everything that we have, from God. Every blessing, every answer to prayer, and especially our salvation is a gift, pure and simple. He owes you nothing. You can never, you can never turn the tables on God. You can't stick an IOU on God's notepad. God owes us nothing. He's so generous. He gives out of his heart. He continues to give and give and give. Nothing is owed to you by God. Everything is a gift, as the scriptures say. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Everything, every breath you draw is a gift. God owes you nothing. Next, the Pharisee has a really messed up view of spiritual disciplines. His views on spiritual disciplines are really jacked up. He's like, look at me. I fast uh, twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. And he's saying this in the context of standing in the middle, saying it aloud in front of people, as spiritual merit badges. And we do this all of the time, don't we? I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Maybe, maybe it's just me. Maybe I do this. We just fed 300 people at Vineyard Cleveland. Instagram. Mm, looking good on the outside. Spiritual merit badges. Pin that spiritual merit badge on you, Pastor. Now, it's one thing to be encouraged. I know I'm being an encouragement when I share. I'm sharing. I'm, I'm enthusiastic. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I just want people to be excited. I'm excited. 
I want people to be excited about what I'm excited about. I'm excited about feeding the poor. I want you to be excited about feeding the poor. But how often do we do this in life? Spiritual merit badges. Pin it up. Pin it on our chest. We, we just spent 15 minutes with God in our comfy chair with coffee. Good on you. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. You're awesome. <laughs> Spiritual merit badges. When is it enough? How many good things do you have to do? How many spiritual merit badges can you get? Uh, when, when are you good enough? Like how, like, how many bad things do you not have to do to be in God's favor and his good graces? How many bad things? Like, has it been three days since your last sin or seven days since your last sin? Awesome. You're doing great. Keep it up. You see how there's this tactical kind of plan into earning his own salvation, into earning his own righteousness? I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I have. If you're going to give in this attitude, you can keep your money. Mm. You never thought you'd hear a pastor say that, did you? You can keep it. It's no good here. Because this is, this is grace. This is grace. This is, what, this is why Jesus is telling the story. No spiritual merit badges in, in Jesus' kingdom. Everybody gets to play is what I've been told. If you want a really great book on the spiritual disciplines, I'd recommend Richard Foster's The Spiritual Disciplines. Wonderful book. If you want to learn more about fasting or praying and get, really get at that, the heart of what Jesus said when he said, when you fast, don't, you know, don't walk around with, don't be Debbie Dow, I'm fasting for the kingdom again. <laughs> yeah, it's such a... Such a trial for me to be holy. Jesus is like, put a smile on your face. Aren't you tired of pastors and leaders who play the martyr card, make you feel guilty about not showing up, not giving, not this, not that, doing this, doing that? Isn't that tired? Like ministry is some burden? Well, you signed up for it. What did you think you were signing up for? You think, oh, 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 the stage. You thought you were signing up for the stage. You didn't know what you didn't know. Ministry, uh, oh, it's, it's, the synonym for ministry is not stage time. The synonym for ministry is service. If giving yourself, you're going to be tired, pastor, leader. You're going to get tired. You're human. You run out of resource. But ministry, service is a joy. It's a joy for us to be together. It's a joy for us to pour ourselves out. It's a joy for us to serve the city together, to bring life to the city together. That's where the good stuff is. So this guy's really jacked up when he talks about spiritual disciplines. Lastly, he plays the comparison game. And that's one game that you never want to play. Because it's never apples to apples. Not the game, but the original idiom. It's never apples to apples. It's always apples to oranges. It's always apples to oranges. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. 
robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I thank you that I'm not like them. Here's why this is a toxic cocktail that you never want to drink. Because it's never apples to apples. So if the goal of Christian community is more love or greater love, right? I mean, yes, we're here. We, Jesus is love. And we're trying to be like him. And that's the goal. And you, and you, okay, so that's the goal. And you look at your love meter or whatever, and you're like, from one to ten, here's where I'm at on like attaining that goal of being more loving, of loving more fully, loving more wholly. And you look at your life and you're like, well, you know, I'm about at an eight. I'm hanging out at, at about an eight. That's, so you can be an eight. It's okay to be an eight. I heard some of the judgments. How, how, dare you, how dare you say some people could be at an eight? If Jesus is a ten, everybody's a four. No, there are some people who are at an eight. Back off a second of the religion. My goodness. Okay, so you're like, I'm an eight, and that's okay, remember, because maybe you are like, maybe you grew up in a great, Uh, home with two parents who followed Jesus and still love Jesus and love one another, and you got that working for you. Then you you married a great spouse, and you're just like still sweethearts, you know. It's like champagne and chocolates every night, and she leaves you little like love notes every day before you go to work. She's like, I love you, sweetie. Don't forget. And you have marriage retreats every weekend. You go on them and, and just feed each other's souls. And then uh, after 25 years of marriage, you're still like that. After 40 years of marriage, and that's great. You got that taken care of. And you're, you're plugged in at the church. You, you love your small group. You're going deep with one another. Christian community is happening for you. So you've got that going on. And so you're like, okay, you know, in all honesty, I'm probably hanging out about an eight. My life ain't too bad right now. But then you've got Fred over there, and you look over at Fred, and you're like, but, you know, he's like, I mean, look at his life. He's like a four on the love meter. He's like a four. And this is what the Pharisee is doing here when he says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, and I thank you that I'm not like these other people. Is that he's comparing the incomparable. He's comparing it's not apples to apples. Because here's the reality of who Fred is. Because you just don't know. You don't know. You just don't know where someone else is with God. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And you might not know that like Fred was maybe physically or sexually abused when he was a boy. You don't know what he's had to come out of. And then his parents split when he was five and he never knew his dad. And then he, he grew up and he wanted to do better. He wanted to change. He got married, but his wife cheated on him and then, and then split, divorced him. And then, you know, after that, after countless times of trying to connect in church and trying to get part of a small group and really turn his life around, that really hasn't panned out for him. 
And so actually, a four is pretty good for Fred. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, he's had to come so far, and we can't see that. And this guy who's comparing himself to others, to robbers, evildoers, and thank you that I'm not like them. How often do you see, maybe it's someone in ministry that you look up to, you admire, and, you know, guns are blazing in their ministry. There's thousands of people that are flocking to see them. It's amazing. Everything's bright and shiny on the outside, and then wham! That guy is like, caught in an affair or whatever it is. And, you're, and, then, and then we go, oh, can you believe that? I can't believe that guy. That guy, he fell. He fell from grace. Oh my gosh, can you believe it? And then the gossip farm starts. Can you believe this guy? Oh my gosh, he fell. When the truth is, is that's like a string of little decisions that's been made over, over the years. But this Pharisee lacks something that the tax collectors got. And what the tax collectors got that the, the Pharisee doesn't have is that the tax collector is desperate for one. We'll get to him in a second. What the Pharisee doesn't understand is that he's one small decision away from being like the guy he judges. Don't we end up serving what we judge? Yes, we always end up serving what we judge. Bank on it. Write that one down. That's a good one. We always end up serving what we judge. Meaning, I better be careful of making judgment calls on a pastor who cheats on his wife. Yes. Because I'm one bad decision away. Got to be careful there because you always end up judging what you serve, or you always end up serving what you judge. Okay, four observations. It's halftime. We're almost out of here. This one won't be as long, I promise. (laughs) Four observations about the tax collector. First off, he's a really bad guy. He's a really bad guy. Here's Jesus. He's doing it again. Jesus is doing it again. The bad guy of the story is the good guy. And the villain of the story is the hero. He's always doing this. Ah, I love Jesus so much. I love him. The tax collector stood up at a distance. A tax collector, in some versions, he's called a publican. Not a republican. He's a publican. He's a tax collector. So he's a really bad guy. He's like um, despised in this culture. To these people who are listening to the story, this guy would have been like, despised. Like the story of the Good Samaritan is this guy in Jesus' audience's eyes. This guy is despised. He would have been like, he would have been like the Vichy government in France during the Nazi uh, regime and taking over France. The Vichy government are a group, were a group of French politicians who said, well, I know we're French and everything, but at the end of the day, I'd like to save my own skin. So if it's the Nazis who are going to run, I can collaborate with. Sure, they're only Nazis. I mean, as long as I get a warm bed to sleep in at night. And they're French, you see? 
And so the rest of the French population looks at the Vichy government and they're like, oh my gosh, are you serious right now? It's sort of like how we were talking about before how you, uh, you cannot call yourself a Nazi and be American at the same time. It just doesn't, we already fought a war for that. That's this guy. This guy, the tax collector, is despised by his hearers. He's the guy that you don't want to see. He's not, he's hired by the Roman government, hired is the wrong word, volunteered for this job. He signed up to take an extraordinary amount of taxes from people who didn't have the money and then, and give to an imposing power and then keep a lot for himself in the margin. Year after year after year. And he lived... He's Jewish, and he lived with your community. He'd be like the guy no one wanted to see. I'm not, I'm not hanging out with you. You're the worst. Stop taking money from me. He's despised. That's who this guy is. He's a really bad guy. So if we can see him like that, when he comes in to pray, and the next observation is that he had a conscience, and it bothered him. He had a conscience, and it bothered him. I want us to contrast the Pharisees' review of his track record, his merit badges before God, with the prayer of the tax collector, where he says in verse 13, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Not let me review my track record, but be merciful to me. Show me mercy. The humble person never, uh, never appeals to merit. The humble person always appeals to God's mercy. This person, the tax collector, understood the gospel. The only way you or I ever stand before God is through his mercy. Everything is a gift. Mer- the sheer mercy of God. Do you, you do not know the depths of depravity that God has kept from you. He, he's, that he's kept from me if it weren't his mercy. In fact, the pastor or the leader who falls that we gossip about later, that is God's mercy. That that thing did come to light. That's God's mercy on that man. That's how merciful God is. The only way we stand before a holy God is through, is through the vehicle of his mercy through his son Jesus at the cross. How good do you got to be? How good do you got to be? The Pharisee is standing up in front of everybody. Look at my good works. Look at the things that I do. Look at the things that I don't do. That's good enough. How good do you got to be? How good was Mother Teresa? Pretty good. Mother Teresa, pretty good. Billy Graham, uh, pretty good. He was pretty good. But even Mother Teresa was like, I'm rubbish before the throne of grace. I'm nothing. Nothing to the cross I bring. Nothing. We stand before God only by an act of his mercy on our lives. The only way is through the mercy shown through Jesus at the cross. 
he recognizes that he needs help. He needs to be rescued. That's the third observation. He needs help from above. Help, or AA would say, help from, an, from a greater power. He needs, he needs rescue. He can't save himself. God, have mercy on me. A sinner. He needs rescued. This is the person who God accepts. There's so much honesty in it. This is who God smiles on. And this is where we'll close. The last point is that he prays, he, he prays a, a perfect prayer. He prays a perfect prayer, doesn't he? Here's the, here's the Pharisee's prayer. God, I thank you I'm not like them. Like this guy in the corner, he's so... He's, he's huddled up in a corner. You've got to understand where this guy is coming from, this tax collector. First... Everybody hates him. He's not a good guy. And second, he's ne- he, he never goes to temple. He's never in temple. So he comes to temple, and where does it, it says he's off in the corner. He can't even, he can't even, he, you know, after, in these cultures, after you lose a loved one, beating his breast, he can't even look up to heaven. It's like that dog that you have, that you hate but you just love him. He like, you like come home from work for the hundredth time and he's in your closet again with that shoe in his mouth. He's tearing up your shoes. What are you doing? You're doing it again. And what happens with the dog? The tail goes down. After you've said it about a hundred times, the tail goes down. Where's his head? And what do you say to the dog? Look at me. No, no. You look at me. You look at me. This is this guy. He can't even, he can't even, there's so much guilt on him for the things that he's wrought, that his hands have wrought, and so much, so, so much shame resting on him. He can't even, he can't even look up. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What a perfect prayer. Nailed it. Nailed it. God, have mercy on me. And then the punchline. Jesus says, I tell you, this guy, he's he's the man rather than the other who went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He's the one. Jesus is always doing this too. Taking the weak things and making them strong. Taking the broken things and mending them, making them whole. He takes the humble things and exalts them. Justified. Really fancy theological term. Have you heard this one? Justified. Never sinned. That sort of deal. True. To, depending on where you're sitting. True. Justified before God. In, okay. Innocent blameless before the Father. It's this guy. And when Jesus says it's this guy, his audience, remember, looking down on everyone else, that's how they view the world. His audience would have been like, what are you talking about right now? Because Jesus just did it again. He said, in my kingdom, it's not the squeaky clean, it's not the up and coming, it's the down and out. 
It's the lost. It's the least. It's the last one, not the first one. It's the one who's got his face in the dirt, not his head in the clouds. It's the guy who doesn't have enough influence or enough friends on Facebook or social media. It's that guy. It's the guy with less social aptitude. It's the guy who, who you know, has one crooked eye and one eye focused. It's that guy. It's not the guy who's high and mighty in the center of, of, of everything politics in his city. It's not the guy who has all the money in his pocket. It's not that guy who God, um, who God smiles on, who justifies. It's the guy who says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Basically, and excuse my language, basically, this guy, his perfect prayer, the perfect prayer, is this. I'm screwed! I'm, I'm, not, I'm not who I said I would be. I've come to the end of my road. I cheated people out of millions of dollars. I'm screwed. That's the perfect prayer that God smiles on. I'm screwed. Who's ready to pray that one with me? I don't have anywhere left to turn. That's a desperate man right there. And our hearts desired, every human heart, Men and women, that's what our hearts desire to pray. God, have mercy on me. I'm sick of trying to get to you, God. You get to me. You've come to me. You've come down. You've come down. You are Emmanuel, Jesus. You are God with us. You put on skin and bones so that I wouldn't have to strategize about how often I fast, about whether I look good on social media or not about whether my kids are perfect or not, my, their lives are in your hands, God, about w- whether or not I have the perfect job, about whether I'm climbing the social success ladder. My life is in your hands. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The perfect prayer. That's the gospel. God, help. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. 